Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this is episode 165 of the Juice Box Podcast. And as always, it is brought to you today by Dexcom and Omnipod. You have a lot of options to find out more about those two great companies. You can listen to the ads later in the show, which I suggest you do because I make them fun. You can also go to juiceboxpodcast.com to find links. You can find links in the show notes in your podcast app, or you can type olden times, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, and or, and why not end, myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. I'm going to think of a title for this episode right now, live while we're talking. A part of me wants to call it Gouda Monkey. You'll find out later why. Part of me wants to call it something simple like George Down Under, because George is from Australia. Part of me says, no, Scott, be a little more creative than that. A little more creative. And I say to you, I don't know if I can. What else could this one be called? Hmm. Milk. The Silent Killer. Again, you'll find out why later. I can't just tell you all right now. If I tell you all right now, it's just going to be the whole episode. And then it'll be like listening to the episode when you can just go listen to the episode. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should ever be considered advice, medical or otherwise. I am not a doctor. Always consult a physician before becoming bold with insulin. What about Australian Gouda Monkey? Gouda Monkey, Gouda Monkey. Do you love those two words together? They, they fascinate me. Let me just warn you now that George's multicultural accent is going to just lull you into a happy spot. Hello. George, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Do you hear it? It's like Elon Musk, Crocodile Dundee, and James Bond had a baby. Oh, wait. Do you think that should be the title of the episode? What if James Bond, Elon Musk, and crocodile dundee had a baby that's pretty obtuse and odd it's not as strange as gouda monkey though hmm what did, what did we do like 10 years ago we like actually phone each other or something i suppose and you'd sit there with like a microphone and hold it against the phone and then like try not to move i can't even imagine my I, listen i can't even get my son to call people he's known his whole life y- you know I'm, I'm, I'm like i said uh, you guys are texting back and forth it seems like you're just misunderstanding each other i said i think if you spoke for 30 seconds this would be fixed uh, I, I we don't do that i was like well i don't know what that even means just call him no no you won't do it. They, they wouldn't even consider it this uh this past summer was actually great because during his baseball recruiting process he actually had to call coaches on the phone and speak to them so that was actually part of his upbringing i i don't even know that i don't know what he would do i don't even know what he'd know how to speak on the phone if it wasn't for this one thing so um, yeah, I have exactly that nowadays. Like, I'm so used to texting, so used to sending emails that I can make. I could actually just phone this company. I could call them and make an appointment and see this person. It just never occurs to me. Yeah. No, it is. It's interesting. I'm very much still a phone call person. I like to, even when, if people contact me kind of uh, outside of the podcast and they have like this like specific question about like diabetes, I'll always say just, you know, you should just call me because what are we going to do? We're going to go back and forth through email 50 times. You're going to ask a question. I'm going to misunderstand it. I'm going to go through this long explanation that you're going to misunderstand. So we could talk for 10 minutes. You'd understand. So yeah, you miss all the context and you miss the inflections in people's voices. And 
Yeah, I guess we've lost something by going onto text. Mm-hmm. No, but I, it's I, hard to see what you've lost until you realize you've lost it, I yeah, guess. No, that, that I think is a 100% true. Okay, so what time is it where you are right now? Uh, 10 to 1 in the morning. Okay. So everyone, first of all, we've had people sit in their cars on their lunch breaks in the sweltering heat to be on the podcast. Uh, but I don't know if anyone's ever sat up till 1 o'clock in the morning to do the podcast. So, George, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate you listening. From Obviously, we can tell from your accent you're from Minnesota. Is that correct? <laughs> no, I uh, I live in Australia. So I'm actually going to have to try my really my hardest not to swear. Just by default, we swear about everything. So, um, yeah, not to swear and not to throw too many Aussie slang around, I guess. <laughs> well, the, I, the slang's fine because we can always go backwards and explain it. But the swearing, if it gives you any hope, uh, and I, I don't know how much the people who listen to this podcast would or would not believe this, but I curse throughout my day as if just i don't know i use cursing as joining words uh adjectives verbs it doesn't matter really um there's a lot of cursing but i somehow i can get on here and i can stop myself so uh i i don't know how that happens exactly but i'm i'm hopeful i'm hopeful then (laughs) sounds like you'd fit in here just fine oh i think i'd be okay except for um are there snakes there uh yeah yeah i'm not coming yeah we have we have lots of dangerous and deadly things it's it's quite good. What is that like? Listen, we have to take a couple of seconds here. Like, what's it? So around here, like, like I, I'm in New Jersey right now. The most dangerous thing that is outside is I, I I don't know. I don't think there's any real danger where I live. I mean, I guess a deer could come through my yard, lose its mind, and crap in my grass. Like, I, I mean, I guess it's the best that I could imagine that could happen to me. But do you have that feeling? Like, do you go outside and think? I have to, like, are you brought up that way? Like, I can't, I have to make sure there's not a spider on me or something like that? Or is it just, does it not get thought I mean, about? like, I'm the, probably the most dangerous thing. I live in the inner city. So probably the most dangerous thing that I see is, like, cars. Um, <laughs> they're pretty dangerous. <laughs> they are. They are <laughs> they're big, big flying metal boxes. Not good for your health when they hit you. Um, but, you know, like, I used to live outside the city. And, yeah, like, there's all sorts of stuff that kills you. And you just get used to avoiding it. That's interesting. Do you actually know a person who's been, like, felled by a animal? Uh, no. So that's interesting. No, I mean, you, you see all the videos on the internet and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And like, like, when you see the spiders eating birds, I mean, that's, that's unsettling, to say the least. <laughs> it really like, I, don't, I don't like that either. I, I don't live in those places. <laughs> okay, so we have some context. You're in a city. You're not... You're you're not on some large flat piece of sand somewhere. Yeah, I used to live. I mean, I used to live on a farm. Mm-hmm. Um, we had this crazy idea that living on a farm would be great, until we realized that like nobody would even deliver takeout to a farm. So that was like we decided it was a really crap idea and gave up after about a year and a half. So, so George, um, you, you seem like a fairly free spirit from when we go back and forth. So so tell me, let's let's figure out who you are exactly. How old are you? Uh, so I'm what thirty six, thirty seven years old. I have to do the math sometimes because. After a while, you stop counting. Of course. Uh, yeah, 36. What, what year or how, how old were you when you were diagnosed with type 1? So I am actually coming up with my diversary in three days. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I've had it about a year. And, and so 35 years old, suddenly you have type 1 diabetes. I know, right? That's insane. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, like I had all the usual symptoms and just kind of, you know, 
Googling things and going like, no, no, surely it's not that. Like, what are the chances it's that? This is, this is, no, this is impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went and saw my doctor and, you know, I described to my doctor and I said, oh, I've had a few of these symptoms. He's like, looks at me and he goes, well, you're pretty healthy. It's impossible. Um, and then, you know, by doing some just uh, regular blood tests, I get my bloods done once a year anyway, because mm-hmm. I, I live on a plant-based diet. So I kind of want to check that I have all my minerals and, you know, and everything's just running smoothly so you know once a year i go off and get everything checked and saturday morning the next morning the doctor calls me and says you should come in now and that's never a good call um you know like if everything's okay they'll wait till monday but they did not wait till monday (laughs) are you a vegan or a vegetarian or how do you so i like to i like to say i live on a plant-based diet um i'm not 100 percent vegan um i do run into the occasional animal products and Mm. i don't lose my you know, lose my marbles when that happens. Okay. So uh, I don't like the connotations of the word as well. I find sometimes when you say you're vegan, it just comes with a whole boat of other stuff. Okay. But it is a lifestyle I try to leave. Like I don't use animal products. Uh, I'm not, not big on the cruelty. I think that industry's got, got a lot to answer for. And I found myself a lot healthier since I switched off all animal products and just you know, live on whole, whole food. How, how, how long ago did you make that change? Uh, four or five years. I mean, I've been vegetarian probably for the last 15 years on and off. But then about four years ago, my wife was, she was on a mission to prove a point. She said, you, you eat too much cheese. And so uh, well, I was like, okay, maybe you have a point here. Um, and we started doing some investigations. And after a while, we kind of went, yeah, we do eat too much cheese. And actually, it's not very good for you. So we should probably stop this. And in the process, she actually also ended up on a plant-based diet as well. So are you here to say that a plant-based diet causes type 1 diabetes? Is that what this is about, this this tech? <laughs> very well might do. <laughs> Could do, right? I tell so people like, all the time, I'm like, you're being healthy, it's going to kill you. <laughs> so, <laughs> being alive is the leading cause of death, leading, leading cause of death right? There's a, a road in Philadelphia that's named after this person. I can't even remember it at this point, but it was from my childhood, and he was this just avid runner. And he died running on this road of a heart attack, and so they named the road after him. I always thought it was a, it was a way to warn people against running. I, I didn't know, I wasn't sure what they were trying to accomplish by naming the road after him. But this road kills runners is what I always thought. Um, no, obviously. So I'm joking. Um, nothing causes type one diabetes. You have an autoimmune disease. Um, so okay, so this is interesting. Yeah, you, should, so, you should tell that to more people, right? I wish, yeah. I wish more people knew that. I don't think anyone's... So, George, I always feel like this. I, I, You run into people all the time who don't understand. I always try to go home and think about all the things I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, So yeah. there, there's a million things in the world I don't get. And if someone came up to me and had this horrible personal experience wrapped around, you know, I don't know, it, it makes something up out of anything and you approached me with it, I wouldn't know the your level of how it's impacted you. I wouldn't know how to properly talk to you about it so that you wouldn't feel offended or, or, or just, you know, horrible. I always try to feel that way. And diabetes is just, I don't know. It's one of those things. I wish people didn't joke about it. I would like to not turn on the television and hear somebody make an offhanded joke about diabetes. And at the same time, when I do, I don't really think much of it. Um, I wish they wouldn't. I know it probably causes a larger misunderstanding, but this is a misunderstanding that is so large at this point that I don't know how you would, I don't, I don't know how you would fix that. Like, like, you know, this, you know, this giant Slurpee from Seven Eleven is going to give me diabetes is, is just, it's, it's just, it's, there's throwaway lines to people trying to make stupid jokes. You know, I don't know how, I don't even know how you take a person like that, hold them down long enough 
educate them about it and then make them promise not to do it again. I don't, I don't know. I don't see a way around it, honestly. I mean, it's really, really sad, actually, because, yeah. I mean, from one aspect, I don't blame people who don't understand and don't know. Mm. Um, or I get a bit upset or tired is when I see it coming out of, you know, people who should actually know better, folks who studied some basic medicine or, um, you know, have involvement or have actually some sort of risk factor or um, something like that where they've been told by their doctor, hey, you know, you have prediabetes and it, it just doesn't do anything for them. And I think they just kind of shrug it off a whole bunch. And yeah, that, that's where it gets really disappointing to me. I mean, I know we're, we're looking more at the type twos there, but uh, I guess sure they're on. Yeah, but I think that's the real danger too is that when, you know, I've, I've met people before who have type two and they don't even really no one's really even explained it to them. Like it was just like, it was like someone told them, Hey, you have a, a vitamin D deficiency, take this vitamin once a day and yeah. it, you know, it'll be okay. And they, I, I've met a lot of people with type two who treat it that way. By the way, I've met people with type one who treat their type one like that. Like I just inject, you know, I bring my highs down and that's it. Like people do that. Um, and it's sad, but I don't know if you're, I, I don't, I've never really been political on the podcast at all, but it, it really bothered me last week and i don't know if it's ever going to be founded i don't think anyone's ever going to call him on it and i was hoping that that a media outlet would but i guess it's not going to happen um but there's you know you know unconfirmed reports that that in the course of talking about um supreme court nominees that trump when he got to sonia sotomayor just said uh I forget what the quote was. Um, somebody asked how he was planning on replacing her, and he said, uh, her health, no good, diabetes. And um, that's, you know, if he really said that, you know, forget the political aspects of it, and I'm not, I don't care about that side of it. I care about the idea that there's somebody at the top who just looks at someone with type 1 diabetes and thinks, oh, you don't have to worry about her. She'll be dead soon. You, you know, like that's, how does that, when conversations about healthcare come up are you really someone who that person's thinking hey if we help these people they can live better or is he looking at you like well you know we'll just we'll do what's humane till you drop dead you know what i mean like that's that would be my fear there yeah i mean it really to me it indicates a lack of compassion and empathy mm -hmm. and you know as soon as we lose compassion and empathy for the people around us uh no matter who we are really we lose i think a critical part of what it means to be human and what it means to live in a functioning society. Yeah. And from that aspect, I think it's incredibly sad. Yeah. And that I think is what you were talking about is just people who are actually in the position to affect something are when they don't understand and they need to, or they should, that's, you know, that's horrifying. Even when you, you hear stories all the time, people who go to their endocrinologist and the level of direction they get from their endos sometimes is specious. It's, it's a, uh, it's kind of fascinating that you're going to a doctor who doesn't completely get what you're asking them about, and they are taking the same approach. When you stop and think about it, and I talk about it here all the time, like I think that people get like don't die today advice sometimes. They don't get be healthy advice. And if you really kind of extrapolate that out, that you don't have to have your blood sugar here. You know, it can be 200 all day. That's fine. Um, when, you, when you're getting that advice, what that's really saying to you is you should not have an expectation of a healthy life. So you have diabetes, so now this is going to happen to you, and it is going to give you long-term complications, or it's going to shorten your existence, or whatever it is. That acceptance from a medical person is staggering. You know, not to want to try harder or 
try something else. You might be trying as hard as you can, but try something else, you know, make an adjustment. Then, then I, that's probably pretty much why the podcast is here because that, that just upsets me. Yeah, I think it's really shocking that the way we have our medical system set up at this time is one that optimizes for really short-term outcomes as opposed to just looking at the rest of your life and, you know, I mean, I hear these shocking stories about people who've been to a doctor here and a doctor there and a doctor here and a doctor there. And over the years, they've just, you know, sort of accreted medication and then been admitted to hospital. And then at that point in time, somebody's actually had a chance to look at all the hospital or look at all the medication they're on. And they're taking, you know, 25 pills and they slowly wind it all back and the person, you know, gets better. Yeah. And you kind of go, well, that's not really rocket science. But, you know, at, at some point in time, the, there's a disconnect, like I think whole bunch of information is lost between transfer between doctors but then each doctor does the really 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 safe thing and you know sometimes the really safe thing is a good thing to do but a lot of the time um you don't really get anywhere by stepping you know staying inside your comfort zone you've got to step outside your comfort zone you've got to engage a little bit more and you've got to accept that you can die because you can die but you know like i'm going to die either way so am i going to die like have a small very small risk of dying like in the next couple of days, which I do kind of have anyway, right? Because I live in a city and I've got giant cars flying past me. Um, but, you know, also, you're gonna, or do I die definitely, like, really early and young because I just didn't pay any attention to the management of my disease? And I think what happens is when you have somebody like an endocrinologist who makes those decisions for you, they never give you the choice. They just kind of go, well, it's safer for me if, you know, you don't die today. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to go with that. Right. And then you, you didn't even know that you could live longer kind of thing. Hey, if we can stretch your life out just long enough when you go, I can say, oh, it's uh, complications of type 1 diabetes. It wasn't my fault. And, and I, I don't think everyone even has that. I don't even want to say that that's the intention. It's just, it's funny, as you were talking just now, I thought when we started speaking at the beginning, I'm going to have to leave it in now, where we're just talking about texting versus phone calls really is the same thing in medicine like it's the texting is that idea of something quick and immediate and you know gratifying like I did this and I heard right back and that was it but you lose all the context and the same thing with medicine is you go in for these quick visits no it's not a real conversation it's they're asking you the questions they feel like they're you know the practice tells them to ask you you answer them it never goes anywhere you know, it's meaningless. They're just trying to mine out information. Wouldn't it be better if you could actually sit and talk and maybe through the conversation figure out what you're concerned about or what the doctor's trying to find out? But it doesn't work that way. So Yeah, I mean, and I kind of get it as well, right? Like yeah. from one aspect, healthcare is a volume business. We have, you know, however many hundred million of us and we've got to be kept alive. And so if we all go to the doctor all the time, like there just isn't any time for this. Right. And so, you know, the doctors are overworked and yeah, it's a difficult solution or yeah. a difficult problem to fix, I guess. Well, I think it is that I think the I think what you just said and what I believe is that you're not going to fix it. I think it is what it is. Then the rest of it falls on you and I. You, you know, what are we yeah. going to like you said, what are we going to go home and try to figure out on our own? What are we going to stand up for ourselves for and push a little harder when we don't like the answer that comes back? And that's that's what I find most when I speak to people is that they just, you know, I, I've said it over and over again, but there are these the few people in, in society that you just, you're, you're bred, grown up, told not to question them. You know, doctors are smarter than you. They went to more school. They're, you know, somehow they're magical. You don't ask them questions. They ask you questions. You know, police officers, teachers, people you're supposed to just blindly kind of follow. 
And I just don't buy into that. And, you know, I say it here all the time. Like, I don't buy into that in all walks of life, except if a cop asks me to put my hands up, I'm absolutely going to do that. But, um, but that's only because he has a gun. So, um, <laughs> you know, if my, I, I never was once a person who listened and said, well, you're older than me, so you must automatically be correct. Or, you know, so when you feel something inside about your diabetes, you have to speak up. You can't, you can't just take this like head in the sand approach or, you know, as my, I've watched my mom live her whole life like this. My mom is, I will cross that bridge when we come to it kind of a person. And I was like, mom, why don't we have a plan for when the bridge gets here? Wouldn't that be better? You, you, you know, yeah, and, 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 and so <laughs> a small one, right? yeah, it doesn't have to be huge, uh, but let's not spend a month standing at the foot of the bridge going, Hmm, I wonder what we should do, you know, especially with your health. That, that's all. George, why are you on the podcast? I forget. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think we spoke. Um, you put out a call a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, I don't remember. And you were saying, look, you know, you were looking at people who are on MDI and who are doing pretty well. And so I said, put my hand up and went, look, I'm doing okay. Okay. So I thought I'd, we'd come on and talk about that for a bit, maybe. Cool. Hey, but before we do that, let's talk about Omnipod for a minute. The world's most incredible insulin pump. And it's tubeless. I've received two separate messages just today. One from a person who listened to the podcast and began the Omnipod and is just starting today. And the other from someone who began months ago and was reporting back about their endocrinologist appointment. And I'm not going to give you any of their details, but how about the sentence, I've been stuck in the sevens and low eights for a couple of years. And because of the Omnipod and the Juicebox podcast, I'm now below 6.5. Come on, that's an amazing drop. All you need are the right tools and the right ideas about how to use them. And I'm telling you right now, the Omnipod is 100,000% the right tool. You should go right now to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or click on the link in your show notes or at juiceboxpodcast.com and try the free no obligation demo pod today. Free, no obligation. Free and no obligation. All you do is fill in your information, an Omnipod sends you out a demo pod. From there, you can do whatever you want with it. You could put it under a short table leg to make it stop rocking if you wanted to, but that would be a waste. When what you really should do is try it on and wear it and see what you think. And then after you inevitably love it, start getting the Omnipod insulin pump for yourself. Come on, guys. It's spring. Summer's going to be here soon. Get rid of the tubing. I'll tell you what, I'll leave a little extra music here so you can get to your computer right now. Go to juiceboxpodcast.com and click on the link. Here, I'll, I'll even turn it up for you so you have something to listen to. Gouda monkey, gouda monkey, gouda monkey, gouda monkey. You know, right away, most people are going to hear that you're on a plant-based diet and that you're on MDI and they're going to go, of course you are. You don't need any carbs. But how many carbs do you take in in the course of a day? Uh, I eat somewhere in the region of, it depends on the day, right? So mm -hmm. like today was about a hundred because, um, I wasn't feeling particularly carby and, you know, but other days I can eat anywhere up to 250. Okay. Um, so it most, I, I rely on fat for most of my calories. I find if I eat, uh, entirely carbs, I just, I'm hungry all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I find like if I, as long as I have fat with every single meal, um, so things like avocado or, um, like I have mayonnaise or nuts or any, anything that sort of just stretches out the, 
the time in between meals where I just feel hungry. I feel satiated for a little bit, lot, lot, lot longer. Okay. Um, I don't rely very heavily on protein, um, protein shake in the morning when I've done some exercise. That's about the extent of protein I get. But, you know, like nobody ever shows up at the doctor with a protein deficiency, so I'm not worried about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have any diabetes technology? Are you using – I mean, are you – Yeah, in- so I use, a, I use a Freestyle Libra. Okay. Um, that's what I use as my, my – you can't really call it a CGM, but it gives you the data that a CGM gives you. And then I use uh, an app on the iPhone, which I put all my data into, and it gives me predictions of my blood glucose into the future, which is pretty cool. No kidding. What's that called? Uh, it's called Predict BGL. Is that something um, that's just about, is it only available in Australia? No, I think it's actually globally. It's, it's on both Android and iOS. And it's, it's written by a guy who lives down in Victoria, one of the states here. And um, he's a type 1, and his daughter is a type 1. And he ended up writing the software because they went on to pumps and liked the software on the pumps, but didn't like being attached to devices. Um, we have a limited range of devices you can get in this country, and so they just weren't, you know, weren't keen on being attached. And you know, with the tubing and getting caught on door handles and all the various stuff that comes along with that. Yeah. So um, they switched back onto injections, and when they did so, he wanted the features that you get in a pump. So being able to track basal rates across the day, and being able to track your carb ratios, and you know your correction ratios, and then being able to tune for a bunch of different stuff. So being able to put in exercise factors and say, well, I'm going to go and do exercise now. So for 120 minutes, I'm going to need 30% less insulin. So you can plug all of the stuff into the app, give it your current blood glucose reading, give it your carbs, and it'll tell you where it thinks your blood glucose is going to end up. How accurate do you find it? I was I was skeptical at first, but I kind of live in the app now, and uh, it's very accurate, like shockingly accurate. So he's probably got something in that app along the lines of, you know, what these artificial pancreas algorithms are going to be like. Yeah, that's that's what I expect. Um, and you know, I think I think quite valuable about the app as well is that you can it sort of gives you a mental model for how a pancreas works, so you can sort of play around with it. Um, and because it's not a real pancreas, you can also do things. You can be like, what if I put a unit in now? What would it do? You can sort of see what it would do. You could be like, what if I ate eight grams of carbs? What would it do? And it kind of gives you an idea. And so you can sort of poke around without actually doing real things, come to a decision, and then you know, make a treatment decision based on that, then actually roll back and go and do the treatment decision to yourself, and then have a fairly good idea of where you're going to go. Oh, I love that. And, and so... Do you find that that's teaching you in a way that you almost don't need the app as much as you did in the beginning? Like, are you, like, can you? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the app helped boot me up onto a mental model of how my diabetes worked. Probably, you know, weeks faster. Like, I got, I, I went through a bunch of apps when I first started. I started with, you know, I started with my sugar, and I was just logging stuff, and I was logging stuff, and I paid them for the pro version. And then I was like, well, why am I logging stuff? This is the most pointless exercise in the world. I get some pretty graphs, but like, what am I doing with this? Um, and then I dug around and I found some other apps and they were the same. I just keep logging stuff and I'm just like, why am I engaging in all this toil? Like this makes no sense. And then, uh, eventually I found this app and I was, then I was logging stuff and it was, I was getting something back for my logging and I was like, this is really satisfying. I'm seeing where I'm going. I, I found um, really interested that you said that because over the years and I, uh, not to impugn one because I don't, I don't have that much knowledge of any of them, but I've heard people come at me all the time like, oh, you know, we want to talk about our app on your podcast or can you look at this app for your blog? And, and I always just say, well, what's it do? It, it, because in the end, it always feels like what you just said. Like, so I put in a bunch of information and then I get a graph. Is that correct? And then what do I do? 
like then I have to figure out what the graph means. And I don't know. It just, at some point it just seems like so much effort and it's not like you have an answer. It's just more information. And so I was like, I probably could figure this out without your app, you know, like, and, but an app that does something, an app that actually says that what you said earlier is being able to tell it, Hey, I'm, if I did this right now, what, what do you think would happen? That's fantastic. Like, I mean, that really is. Even better than that, what I find is when when you put a reading in and it doesn't match what the app expects, then the app will say to you, hey, I didn't expect that. This is what I did expect. Here's some reasons why it could be different. So, for example, if I put in a reading of, say, a blood sugar of nine, uh, I have no idea what that is in American. Don't worry. Um, I don't either. doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually have a chart here so that I could, I could look this up. So if I put in a blood sugar of like, say, 182, right, and the thing was expecting, say, somewhere in the region of 100, then it would say to me, hey, you know, I was expecting 100. You put in this. You've got, the, it could be this too, many, this too many carbs. Like, did you accidentally get your carb count wrong? Like, might have got, got it wrong by this month. Or alternatively, maybe you didn't put enough insulin in. So maybe you, you said you put in this much, but it, wasn't the, it was this much too little. So you need to change your carb ratio. Or maybe your correction factor was incorrect. Maybe, you know, you'd issued a correction and it didn't come down. And this is typically what happens to me when my basal rate is off. I'll see that I'll put in corrections and I'll tell the app that I'm putting in corrections. And then I'll go and put in a, you know, another reading, maybe another two hours later. And it'll be the same as the one previously. And the app will just freak out and be like, hey, you know, this, you should have come down by a couple, you know, maybe 20 or 30 points, but you didn't. Why is this? Mm-hmm. And so, you know. And pops up and gives me a little thing, and I'll be like, I just think you can put it, you can dismiss them, and you know, it's just giving you suggestions. But I def- dismiss them and be like, okay, well, I know my basal rate's wrong, so it, it just gives you this really, I guess, good understanding for why something might be out. That's interesting. That's really that's really cool. What's it called again? It's called Predict BGL. Okay, well, I'm have to take a look and see. So, I mean, that just sounds like worthwhile. I now, are you? How do you make adjustments to like you were talking about basal insulin though, but you're you're using a long acting basal, right? Yeah. So I, I spent a lot of time playing with this um, because I think you know basal is the it's the foundation of everything we do, and if you get that wrong, then you just you can't build on anything, right? Like you just don't know where you're at. Yeah. And so so many times when I see people are like, oh, my insulin just, it's just unpredictable. I'm kind of probably like, well, you probably find your basal rates incorrect, right? So when you think you're injecting for this food, you're not only injecting for this food, you're also covering some of that with, you're covering, you All know, basal, basal rate or your yeah. basal was too low and you weren't covering that. And, you know, your body doesn't know the, ins- the difference between insulin, right? Your body, insulin's insulin. And so, you know, if you've got your basal rate out, then it just throws everything out. This weekend, I managed Arden's blood sugar from halfway across the country. Hmm, how did I do that? Did I talk to her constantly? Nope, actually, I never spoke to her once. You may be wondering, well, how did you do that, Scott? Did you write messages on small scraps of paper, fold them up, stick them in a pocket of a monkey made out of Gouda cheese, and have him swing across vines to get to her? No, I didn't do that. That would not be efficient. And the cheese would melt. Did I use the world's most powerful diabetes tool in conjunction with the world's most powerful communication tool? That is correct. I used a Dexcom continuous glucose monitor and text messaging. Pretty cool, huh? So my daughter Arden is wearing the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. 
That speaks to her cell phone, which speaks to the internet, which speaks to my phone, which tells me what her blood sugar is and where it's going. From there, I can make treatment decisions with her through text messages. Just, hey, why don't you pulse this much for Why don't you set a temp basil? She could text me, I'm about to eat a cupcake, which she was doing at a swim party while I was away. Try to imagine that. Is that something you'd be comfortable with? Because it's something that I'm comfortable with. My 13-year-old daughter was at a swim party with type 1 diabetes where she then wanted a cupcake. Text messages. Mere moments of time. Hardly interrupted what she was doing. Definitely impacted her blood sugar. Blood sugars were great all weekend. There are a ton of amazing things I could say about the Dexcom Continuous Glucose Monitor, but this time you know what I'm gonna tell you? Peace of mind. Unparalleled peace of mind. That's what you get. I know you want it. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox with the links in your show notes or at juiceboxpodcast.com. Do not hesitate. Your body doesn't know the, in- the difference between insulin, right? Your body, insulin's insulin. And so, you know, if you've got your basal rate out, then it just throws everything out. If you have your basils really in check, you can make, you can manipulate your blood sugar with basil. You don't even need to, you know, there are times where you don't even need to bolus. Like uh, when Arden woke up this morning, her blood sugar was 140 and I wanted it to come down. So I just increased her basil for an hour and now I don't know where it's at. Oh, I can look. Uh, She is 109. So there, that worked. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was it. But if, if, if her basil was off, too light and I start bolusing, then I still don't have the basil. The basil's still not there. You know, time still moves forward. Your your body's still forcing your blood sugar up because you don't have this this background insulin holding it down where, where it's supposed to. I, it gets lost so easily. Nobody even thinks about it. Um, you know, it's cool, it's cool that you are actually. So do, are, are you, do you want a pump? Uh, no. No. So, I mean, so from, from two aspects, I want to pump because it has temp basils, mm-hmm. and that's the entire reason I want to pump. Um, the reasons I don't want to pump is I do a ton of hot room yoga, and I just think the insulin will cook inside a really hot room. Um, and then also just I'm not huge on things being attached to me. But, I mean, the other thing is I, I feel like I've got great control. So, I mean, I'm just not going to mess with it. And so how much of that do you feel like? Is your uh, basil's really? Can you hear basil? He is snoring like crazy today. Basil, please, basil, making a podcast. What are you doing? It's just I don't know. That dog snores like crazy. Um, sorry. Um, do you? How much of that do you put towards the the idea of the plant based diet? Like, if you like, do you think if I I don't know if you weren't eating that way that you'd feel differently? Like, how much of MDI is not much of a problem for me? I've got this predictive data from this this app. Do you think is from so it's, that? I think it's I think it's a it's a combination of factors, right? Like I think you've got to you've got to set your life up so that when you stumble, you fall into the pit of success. And if you do that, then everything becomes easy. And so, like over time, I've just made all these incremental changes, and the sum of all those incremental changes has been a great outcome. So you know, I've nailed down my basal rate. That took me. That took me so long to, you know, I was changing various insulins and I was trying different things. And, you know, there's a whole story behind that. And then at the same time, like, I'm on a plant-based diet. So I eat a diet low in saturated fat. And I did a bunch of research into that. And it turns out saturated fat blocks 
the signaling pathway between the insulin receptors and the glucose pumps inside the cells. And so I see this and I started noticing this, like when I eat junk food that's high in saturated fat, my insulin sensitivity just goes out the window for about a day. And so I was like, okay, well, they're great as treats, but maybe I'm going to cut down on that. So I started cutting down on that. And then I, you know, I did a lot of exercise and I noticed when I do the exercise, my insulin sensitivity goes way through the roof. And I was like, okay, well, how much exercise do I have to do? And so I eventually settled on, you know, I do hot room, big room yoga, like once every two days, because if I do it once every four or five days, then everything just becomes all wonky. But if I do it every second day, I just stay nice and flat and level. And so I think the sum of all these things that I do, I just end up, I just don't, it doesn't really feel like work after a while. And then I don't have to pay that much attention and everything just seems easy. And how do you have, how do you have time? Like what, what is your lifestyle like that, that you can do the yoga like every other day? Like if you asked me to do anything every other day, I would tell you I couldn't commit to it. So how, how does that, like, what do you do for a living that like, do you work from your home or uh, like that kind of stuff? So I'm, I'm at the moment I'm on a year's sabbatical. Um, I decided to take a year off, uh, just to figure out how to learn my disease. Um, I'm in the fortunate position that I work for a software company and, uh, we had a good year, good couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, so I decided like this was my year that I wanted to take off. Um, but even prior to that, I mean, I've been doing yoga for years and so I'll kind of typically do, you know, get up and go to a a. 6am class or a 7.45am class, do yoga for 90 minutes and then finish up, have a shower, go to work work for the day and come home. Um, I mean, I live in the inner city, so everything's on foot. That substantially helps my lifestyle. I don't ever get in a car. Um, and I now have this very expensive hunk of metal that just sits down in a parking space that I pay money every week for. and <laughs> it, it just guts me. I just got the insurance and they're like, pay some money for the car you don't use. And I'm like, ah. Oh. Do you ever, but, you know, do you just not drive at all? Is it just something you do? Like you once every two weeks. You need like, it? Maybe. Yeah. Like we might go and do some shopping once every two weeks, but when we used to live out on, on, the, on the farm, as I was saying, like there you just needed a car. Like, as I say, nobody would even bring you takeout. So you just, you could not get by without a car. But here in the inner city, it's just, it's too painful, right? Like, so you, you have to find parking and you just, you can't do things with cars in inner cities. It just doesn't work. And so we, we tend to do everything on foot, both my wife and I. We just walk everywhere. And, you know, that's been a substantial factor in my health as well, because now all of a sudden I'm just getting exercise as part of my day-to-day -day routine. How long were you married when you were diagnosed? Uh, we've been married probably about five, six years, but we've been together about 15. Okay. So you, you, so you know your wife for 15 years and you're diagnosed pretty much at the end of that 15 so far. How did, how was it for her? Did you notice, did you notice any shift in your relationship or, or did it cause weirdness or strengthen things it, or what, what did you notice happening? I don't think it caused weirdness. Um, I think it caused... I mean, from one aspect, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a test tube for her. So she's studying um, medicine, and so she's been focusing a lot recently on diabetes. Yeah, just ironically, actually, at the time I was diagnosed, excuse me, she was writing a term paper on diabetes, and she was like, "Hey, I think you have diabetes," and I was like, "No, no, surely not." She's like, "No, no, I've, I'm studying it right now. I think you do." Um, so that was that was a good giggle. Um, but you know, I think it it had a it had obviously an effect on her on her mental health, um, just in terms of like, there's somebody you love and now you worry for them and you're like, like, what are they doing? How they manage this? And she doesn't really get involved in the day-to-day -day management, 
but she kind of gets involved in the day-to-day worrying, if that makes sense. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and she's creeping next to you with the Libra holding it up against the sensor? Or... <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, let me just see real quick. And that's uh, it, interesting. You, you said something about the Libra earlier, about it not really being a, a continuous glucose monitor. I, I agree with you. I think what it does is really cool. I think it's uh, – do you use it as a BG meter? Is it kind of how you say it, like a meter that you don't have to poke your finger for? Or do you have a meter and you use the Libra? How does that work? Um, I mean, there's a so there's a there's actually a little finger prick meter built into the Libra. Um, okay. So I kind of use the I use the, you do use the test strips on that. Um, but I mean, I do kind of obsessively scan probably once every half an hour. Um, but in all honesty, what what ends up happening, I think, is and you probably experience this as well, is that after a while, you get a you get a good sense of where your blood sugar is going and where it's at, and so you you just periodically checking in, and the the time for doing a reading is you know just seconds and so in terms of am i am i just picking up a picking up a device and looking at it or am i picking up a device waving it against my arm and then looking at it the, the, the difference is not all that big um what i would like those integration for say you know something on my watch or maybe some alarms those would be those would be really nice um but i've gotten gotten pretty talented at the sort of the wake up in the middle of the night scan myself keep the light on underneath the blanket make sure not to wake my wake my wife up and then when i know everything's okay go back to sleep and like did i actually scan last night i don't know <laughs> i was explaining to somebody the other day that uh where arden was getting braces and uh you know he was talking about it, it kind of you know now he has braces and what do you do and you know she doesn't eat food overnight frequently but there are times where arden will eat a banana like in her sleep and I said it so offhandedly as I was talking to him, you could see the, the conversation just ground to a halt and this look came over his face and I said, oh, I'm going to have to explain that to you, I guess. And so I, you know, I said, so Arden can eat a banana while she's sleeping if I hold it. And that started to make more sense to him. And uh, he goes, I don't understand. I said, I just say, Arden, your blood sugar's low. We're going to eat a banana. And then I touch her lips with the banana and then she takes a bite of it. And then when she's done, she chews and she swallows. I give her more until I've given her as much as I want. I said, then we try to rinse her mouth out with some water. And, but if you ask her the next day, she has no recollection of that whatsoever. And so I yep. said, I guess technically Arden can eat a banana in her sleep. And I, even after the, the, the explanation, he still sort of just, you could tell he was not 100% sure what was happening. So it was interesting. I, I, don't, I don't believe this. Like, I, I get that. I wake up some nights, some mornings, and I'm like, I wonder how many times I woke up last night to scan my blood sugar. And it'll be like four or five, but I don't really remember. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I can't do the wake up, go back to sleep thing. So I'm more of a get it definitely right and then pass out kind of, kind of guy. Um, I, I, once I, I don't know, I have a hard time like going back to sleep, waking up and going back to sleep, that kills me. It's almost better for me to stay up sometimes. Um, Interesting. I, um, I spent years on call you know, working in a technology company with you know some random service somewhere would go down in the infrastructure and you'd get paged and you'd have to get up and function. And so over the years, I developed this ability to essentially wake up function for five minutes and then just go back straight straight back to sleep <laughs> that's a pretty good superpower actually <laughs> <laughs> fantastic so george first of all you're doing great not cursing it's fantastic um <laughs> basil's snoring has picked up to the point where i'm going to ask to hold on one second and i'm going to get up and move him a little bit and i'll be right back he's now distracting me i don't know if it's if it's even something anyone would ever hear on the recording but i can't think through it so hold on one second 
when, when we started to record, the dogs were in separate, different beds. And I was like, oh, the one who doesn't snore is near me, and the one that does snore is way away from me. This is fantastic. And then as we started talking, they switched spots. So, yeah. Oh, you're recording now. Let's just fix it. <laughs> yeah, how could I mess this up? Hold on, I know. Um, so, Well, okay, so let's walk through a little bit of the MDI kind of an idea. So do you have to uh, – well, what kind of insulin are you using? Okay, so uh, – when I was diagnosed, they put me on uh, Nova Rapid, which I think you guys call Novolog, mm-hmm. and uh, Lantus. Okay. And so I kind of started on that, and you kind of fumble through it and say, well, how much am I taking? What doses, et cetera? And so, you know, you know, typically in hospital, they just give you two pens. And they're like, well, here's two pens. That's probably enough for the next week. Go to your GP, get a script, and go from there. And so I kind of did that. Um, and then quite quickly discovered that the pens only have one unit doses, and so I quite quickly needed to change up and move to half unit doses because I was still quite insulin sensitive at the time. Um, at the moment, I'm now using uh, Novolog uh, or Novorapid and Livermere, and I use it in the pen fills, so you little three mil cartridges, and I load them into an echo pen, which then, uh, once I've dialed up the dose and shot it into me, it'll it has a little calendar, a little well, it's like a counter on the back, which tells you the last dose and how many hours ago it was, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Um, and then I'll put that into my my app, and that tells me insulin on board. So the app has got a setting for essentially whenever you put in a bolus, you put in how you say how long your insulin is active for, and it'll you know give you the, it, it can track the curve and just say you've got this much left on board. So I, I don't have to worry about keeping that in my brain because I'm terrible like that. Um, I ended up on Levermere because actually of a random blog. I was chatting to somebody about this today, but I was just reading a blog somewhere. And, and this guy was saying, oh, my kid always hypos on Lantus after exercise. And I was like, ah, oh, I have that. I wonder if moving to Livermere would help. And so I chatted to my endo about it, and he said, well, give it a go. And that was my main reason for switching. Um, switched from Lantus to Levermere. Uh, I tried splitting my dose. I also really wasn't getting coverage with Lantus because I think the one, of the way, one of the things about Lantus is when you have a slightly smaller dose, it just, doesn't, it just runs out early. So they sort of say 24 hours, but I was sort of getting about 20, 21 hours out of it. Right. And so I just had these two random highs throughout the day. I was like, one, one in the morning and one at night. And I was like, well, it's sort of when the dose is wearing off. Um, and so I moved to Levermere because of all of those reasons. And then it was really nice, actually. The hypos disappeared after moving to Levermere, um, exercise hypos. And so now I don't even, I hardly ever change my, my, my basal dose like after exercise. I just don't need to. I find as long as I don't really have any, any fast-acting insulin on board, I don't, I don't hypo after exercise. The um, are you shooting the Levamir once a day now, or do you still split um, it? I split it. It works better if you split. I've actually now moved to a three-way split because I've found the, the dose action is about eight hours, somewhere there, eight to ten hours of peak. And so I get up first thing in the morning, and I'll you know, put a shot in at about 6.30, and then I'll do another one around about lunchtime, and then one just before I go to bed. And then I kind of like that for, for two reasons. One, it gives me this... this um, you know, always, I've always got an eight-hour peak coming on. Um, but the other nice thing is when my basal does move around, it gives me three intervention points through the day. So if I'm running slightly high on my basal or running slightly low, then I can say, okay, well, in the next one, I'll just notch that down by maybe a unit or two. Um, but again, because Le- Levermere also has a peak, it has a distinctive peak and a distinctive um, sort of uh, degradation action over the course. Like once you get to sort of 16 hours in, it really starts to go down and it's, the, the dose is not so active. 
you get these three different peaks you can work with. So I will take less overnight, for instance, whereas with something like Lantus, it's, it's a more flatter action. And, and once you stack them on top of each other, there isn't really much benefit to stacking them in different amounts because, you know, over the course of a day, they will just add up to your total daily dose. Whereas with Levomir, that one actually wears off. And so you can put a new one in and you get a, you get a different basal rate. And I find that like super useful because you can then really, really tweak. Well, that's cool. I know that when Arden was first diagnosed, we used Lantus, but it burned. Uh, yes. So we moved, to, we moved to Levomir. And then, so you've tried to imagine, you know, that many years ago, the internet wasn't really as, like, so I found through Googling um, this web space where pharma people, the salespeople were talking about their drugs, but it wasn't private. You didn't need a password to get into it. And I found this one spot where these, um, salespeople who were selling Lantus were talking about how they feel bad telling people that it lasts for 24 hours when they know it doesn't. And that, that, that made me go, Oh, okay. That makes sense. You know, like that makes sense. That's why we're seeing this high right here because it's gone. She doesn't have any basil right here. And that's when I started splitting it uh, just every 12 hours, which ended up working fine for Arden. But I wasn't looking into it at that time as closely as you are now. And so I imagine if I would have figured out what you figured out, maybe I would have gone to, to more injections of it too. That makes a lot of sense. That, that's yeah, a, so that's I, I find that I find that like works really, really well for me. I mean, the other thing is I looked into the insulin action, and um, so as you say, what you know, Lantus, you you get the burn. But the way Lantus works is it sort of it's a it's an acidic substance that then sublimates under your skin um, in the fat into a little ball of insulin that yep. sort of sits wherever it sits, right? And then there's there's two interesting things about that. The first thing I found is that, and I think this is why I have I have no evidence to suggest this, but I think this is the why I had the hypos is that. That ball is going to break down at whatever rate it breaks down. Now, if I go into a hot room yoga class, I've just heated up my body. So it's going to break down slightly faster. And so what I found is that on days I would do hot room yoga, I would get this hypo after exercise. And then later in the day, I'd have this high and I'm just like, my high is early. What, what, what the hell? Why, why did this happen? <laughs> but, um, yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. so, you know, it crystallizes under the skin and then it basically just melts away slowly, giving you... Yeah giving you insulin slowly. Um, and I've always thought you can tell it's working faster now or it's, you know, it, you can just tell yeah. like there are moments. Well, when- the, the other thing about that is that it creates this little ball of insulin, right? Now, if you think about a ball, the bigger the ball, the bigger the surface area of the ball. Right. And so the bigger the surface area, the more insulin there is to, to like sort of sublimate out and just sort of break down into the, into the surrounding tissue. And so, I think this is why they've now gone with their new insulins. They've gone with higher, higher dose insulins to make the ball smaller again. Because if you're injecting a big ball of insulin, then you've just, by definition, got much more surface area. Like a bigger ball has more surface area. So you get more insulin into you at any one point in time. And then as it shrinks in size, there's less. It yeah. gets less. Yeah. And then your blood sugar you know, gets high. Yeah, there's less. But then you also sort of have a peak. And so, you know, it's just not even. Um, and I think they've done a lot, a, lot of, a lot of work on this, but I'm still not so keen on a little ball of insulin somewhere in my body. Just Well, see, it's funny. I've broken things down into overly simplistic statements, but in the end, what we just said was, if your blood sugar is high, you probably mistimed or miscalculated the amount of insulin. You have not enough insulin. And if your blood sugar is low, you probably have mistimed it or have too little. And it really is it. It's all about what I, I – there's a – thread I was looking at on Facebook before I started talking to you. And it's, it's all about 
what do I do? How do I get my blood sugar down? Why is my blood sugar high? You don't have enough insulin. Like that it's 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 really not more difficult than that that basic concept. Now how you how you get the correct amount of insulin at the right amount of time gets to be a bigger idea. But in the in the, the very beginning, if your insulin your blood sugar is high, you don't have enough insulin. That's it. Like it's, Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's simple. It's so. exactly that. It works exactly the same way for basils as well. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you know, as soon as I put two and two together with that, that's when you know that's when I really started to make progress. Okay. All right. Jeez. Um, okay. So plant based diet diagnosis. You're probably out of your honeymoon period now. You were talking about needing a half unit um, injections, yeah, but so, that's I mean, gone I was now. At, uh, there was one point where actually I was trying a keto diet just because I wanted to see if it worked. And I was actually not having any insulin because I was just hypoing. Um, but that came to a swift end. And um, yeah, last couple of weeks, it's just been, you know, it's been sort of going down in increments slowly but surely in the last couple of weeks. I've been like, what the hell is going on here? I'm injecting like for a horse. Yeah, um, it, it is how it starts to feel, especially when it makes that big shift where you're like, oh, I used to use this little bit, but now it's so, because it does seem like, it's funny too, I think, when you're injecting it, when you can really see it, 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 it's a little more impactful. Like when you tell a pump to give you 15 units, it's just a number. But when you look at 15 units in a needle, it's a lot of insulin. <laughs> you, 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 know, you know, like like physically when you look at it, you're like, wow, that's a lot of volume I'm putting here. Um, so it's a little more impactful, I think, when you see it go in, to be perfectly honest. so Plus you feel it because you're injecting quicker where pumps kind of like the Omnipod, for instance, if you take a big bolus, the Omnipod will take, it could take a minute or so to put it in. It goes in much more slowly as an example. Um, but that's interesting. It really is. Um, how's healthcare in Australia? What, what is, uh, what's your, like what falls to you? I'm already fascinated that you were able to take a sabbatical. That's so un-American. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't yeah, get a year um, off here if you had 16 babies and they came out your ears they'd be like get back to work <laughs> so. i kind of feel that um but no i mean healthcare is good so i mean let me give you an idea of what my typical um my typical experience is so um i live in the i live in the inner city i've picked a, a gp uh who has a practice near my work um they're they're everywhere um, I particularly looked one looked for one that who does does what we call bulk billing. So um, by being an Australian citizen, I get uh, free healthcare, free access to Medicare. We call it Medicare here. It's not it's sort of the the single payer healthcare system that we have. Um, so I'm not Australian by birth. I moved here about ten years ago. Um, but yeah, as I once I once I became a naturalised citizen, they go, oh, cool. Here's your, here's your Medicare card. And so there's a bunch of reasons, bunch of ways you qualify. But ultimately, if you find a GP who does bulk billing, um, what they're saying is that the rebate that you'll get from Medicare will cover their expenses. So I found one who does that. That means I don't pay for any of my GP visits. Like I can go to them as often as I want and my GP's like, oh, hey, good to see you again. Um, and then, yeah, Medicare will, will pay for that. Um, typically, most labs are on um, Medicare, so I don't really pay for those, I guess, and, uh, you know, unless I really get out of hand. But, you know, I go and get a couple of lab, lab tests per year and that doesn't seem to doesn't seem to touch sides. I, I've never noticed the bull. Um, you know, I, my GP gives me a piece of paper. I make an appointment with the nurse. She takes the blood out of me, signs a piece of paper, and then I come back a day later and I've got some results. And so that's I don't don't see a cost with that. Um, for my endo, I've registered with a public health hospital here that has a great diabetes center. 
And so I see my endo, I was seeing him once every three months. I now see him, he sort of looked at me and went, oh, you're doing fine. I'll see you in six months. Um, but I don't pay for that either. That's again, bulk build. So I've got a bulk build endo, endocrinologist as well. And then that, uh, that diabetes clinic has an attached, um, or that, that the diabetes clinic has an attached set of educators. And so they actually run a, run a separate group at a diabetes center and they have, endo, they have um, you know, some nurses and some dietitians um, and a psychologist. And essentially I can go and see those, those people for free as well. And it's just basically phoning them up and going, hey, how are you going? I'd like to talk to you about X. And they go, okay, great. I've got a space in my calendar here. Let's talk about that then. Um, if I go and do some more complicated stuff, so let's say going and seeing a specialist or maybe going and seeing a psychologist or maybe going and getting some surgery, that's where you start to encounter costs. Um, emergency healthcare is always free. Um, like if I just, if I get sick, I just walk into, I walk into a hospital now and they'll just be like, oh, hey, you're sick. Okay, cool. Let's sort that out. Um, and you, you generally won't see a cost about that. But when you get admitted to hospital, then it gets complicated. Like, have you got hospital cover? They kind of, they kind of push you into into having that. Are you in a private hospital? Do you? There's a whole bunch of like rules and regulations and conditions. But you know, for most stuff, like if you're willing to wait, you can get away with no cost. Um, and so it sort of becomes a trade-off of like, do I want this done faster, or is this sort of a more optional treatment? So stuff like uh, uh, chiropractors and um, yeah, pretty much just the more, the more, not, what would you call them? I guess. Well, yeah. Like not emergencies. Not, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, what about the insulin? Does the insulin cost money? Yeah. Uh, so I pay, um, $35 for a PBS script. So the way it works out here is that I will get a script from my GP and then all the medications that we have are on a, uh, a scheme called the pharmaceutical benefit scheme. And if the medication is on there, then it's, it's covered in a script. So a standard script costs 35, 37-odd dollars, Aussie. Um, there are ways to get that cheaper. So like if you don't have a job or you don't have, um, like if you earn less than a certain amount, et cetera, there's like a whole bunch of conditions. Yeah. You, can get a, you can get a concession card and then it costs like eight. And then it just, you go to your pharmacy and they give you whatever the standard dose is. So with my insulin, I get whatever it is, I think. It's the five mil cartridges, so I'll get five boxes of five. So I'll get five, five, what's that, 35 cartridges for about $37, about a dollar a cartridge. And if your insulin needs went up and doubled, it would still be the same amount, or would the amount go up also? No, no, I just, that's the standard script. So I'll get a script for that much, and if that lasts me as long as it lasts me, and I've got one repeat, and then I go and fill out that repeat, I'll pay the $35 again, and then I'll go to my GP and get another one. That's pretty cool. Was the Libra free? Or did you have to pay Unfortunately for not. No, I have to pay for that. Okay. Um, although there's, there, there's a consultation going on at the moment. So the way the diabetes stuff works is, is slightly differently. So insulin is obviously a medication that's covered on PBS, just as mm. basically all the medication that you can get. But for diabetes stuff, they run a separate scheme called the NDSS. So when you, um, when you become a diabetic, like you're sitting there in hospital and you're going like, what the hell has just happened to me? And you get a stream of people coming through. But one of the people that comes through is a... Um, an educator who comes and registers you with a scheme called the NDSS and they kind of validate that you actually have diabetes and that you're this type and that you get a card and they kind of register you and then you can take that card to any pharmacy or you can go online to their website and that gives you access to diabetes supplies. So using that card, I don't pay for needles. Um, I can just have an endless supply of needles if I want. 
um, I get access to subsidized test strips. So instead of paying whatever it is, 50 bucks a box, I pay, I think, 17. Um, if I'm always on a pump, I'd get access to my pump supplies at a reduced cost. And like, so basically all of the, all of the management tools for diabetes are covered under the NDSS. So CGMs have been made available to under 21s in Australia. So if I was under 21, um, I could just go and get a CGM and they would give it to me. Um, that would be free. Um, but they haven't yet approved funding for anybody over the age of 21. So about six months ago, they kicked off a consultation as to whether or not they were going to fund the Libra. Um, but they haven't yet made a decision. And so we're hoping, hoping holding thumbs. Well, without the, see the Libra without the, without the, you know, the alerts, it really is, it's a really great BG meter. It, you know, you know what I mean? Like where you don't have to poke yourself it's because you even said like, I have to wake up and look, or you were talking earlier about how like every half an hour you look, I believe that if the, if this isn't a sales pitch, but if you were, if you were on Dexcom and you had your, your, your level set, you would get to a comfortable place where you'd never think to look at it unless it was beeping at you. And yeah. so, and, and so that's the difference. I think Libra is really cool. I just don't think it's a CGM. Like it's, yeah, yeah right. I mean, it's what it's got going for it is it's got the cost and I think it's, it's also got, um, you know, I don't have to calibrate it. So you're managing well with type one with, with injections, you got a Libra, you have plant-based diet, which I, applaud you on did you was that hard to get into a plant-based diet or were you always a healthier eater to begin with or was it a big transition I, for you no actually i mean so ironically this is this is 20 year old me like 21 year old my my brain is i don't know what i was thinking but anyway i was um i was living in london at the time and i was looking at what i was eating i was like i'm eating a lot of junk food if i turn vegetarian i'll eat less junk food i, I don't ask me how i thought that but okay. that's what i thought at the time and so i said okay well i'm going vegetarian um, and so I became a vegetarian and that kind of forced me to cook my, my kind of my and brain logic said that if I, uh, I don't eat meat, I'll be able to eat less takeout. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I don't, how, how did it occur <laughs> to me that I did a heck of a leap. <laughs> <laughs> so like, anyway, it worked for me. Um, and I ended up learning to cook and, and, you know, like over the years, uh, like you kind of just eventually lose the flavor for meat at some point in time. It's just, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, no. Not my thing. Um, but also it's sort of the same becomes, I think the bigger one was like sort of dairy and cheese because it's so addictive. Like literally addictive. Um, there's a, there's a casamorphine. There's like a morphine analog in cow milk, which keeps the baby cows happy, but also has the side effect of getting you addicted to it That's a, uh, as a human. Cheese, cheese is one of those things that you don't think of as being unhealthy, but it's not, particularly healthy it, it just but it is one of those it, it falls into a category in your mind for some reason where it's very it feels natural so you're like okay yeah. geez but i remember i was um i was in amsterdam at the time on uh on a yeah just like sort of a i want to say a working holiday but i was working for the company i work for mm -hmm. and they have a they have offices in amsterdam and i was just kind of out there for three months working and like like you think americans like cheese like the dutch are just like everything is cheese like life is cheese if you live in holland um and it's all like just it's none of it's like processed cheese it's just like it's these all these really these boutique cheeses that have aged and you just it's kind of crazy um and so i'd been eating all this cheese and then at the time that was when my wife was like we should eat less cheese and go vegan and so i watched a you know i think i watched the milk documentary or something like that and i was just like okay that's me i'm done overnight and so i just made cold turkey on cheese and actually went through like morphine withdrawal like I remember like 
lying in bed shaking, sweating. It's the most horrible thing I've ever experienced. Really? I was like, this is from cheese? What you, the you had, hell? You had the Gouda monkey on your back? That's incredible. Yeah, I, literally withdrawal symptoms. And I was just in bed shaking like for about four days. And then it just went away. And I was like, oh, thank God that's over. Like, that's crazy. And George, don't be surprised if this episode is called Gouda monkey. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm somehow delighted by the idea that you had withdrawal from cheese. <laughs> that's, I, it's just not something that would ever have occurred to me that a person would have said. So that is really, that's fast. And you say, because yeah. there's what's in the milk that, that kind of, yeah. So there's a, so, so, so um, cow milk has a, has a thing called casomorphine. It's one of the proteins that's in cow milk. Um, but it is literally morphine, and so it it binds to the same receptors in your in your brain, and that's why when you eat a piece of cheese, you feel all warm and fuzzy. You have a glass of milk, you're like, oh, that's really good. I feel all warm and fuzzy from that. It's so you're high. A you're getting bit. a morph- yeah, 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 you're yeah. literally getting a morphine hit. <laughs> well, I don't think that's going to take uh, over the opioid crisis in America, but I think at the same time that is really interesting news that I didn't. I, wow, I never seriously. That's insane. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't know about this, and I was like, what, 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 what? <laughs> so what? Human milk doesn't have that, I don't think. All you're um, making me but, wonder is what else I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm assuming yeah, so, is, a, is a huge amount of things, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so when that sort of happened, that was when I was like, I became like yeah, pretty anti-dairy. But now I've sort mm-hmm. of backed off, and like everybody's got their own path. Like, you want to have dairy, then that's cool. You can have dairy. Yeah. Like, but. You know, I just, I don't think it's particularly healthy. And one of the interesting things I noticed when I cut out dairy out of my diet is just my weight started dropping away, like excess water retention, um, little bits of puppy fat I was holding on over the years, but also my hunger satiated. And I think that was related to um, the growth hormones that are in, in cow milk because, I mean, I didn't really think about it this way, but, you know, I was watching, I was watching this documentary and they're kind of like, what's the purpose of milk, right? The purpose of milk is, is goes from a mother cow down to a baby cow and it says to the baby cow, you should get really big. Yeah, fat, yep. Yeah. And so, you know, we drink this as humans or we, you know, what happens? Well, we get bigger. Or, you know, that's why I stopped having it and like all of a sudden, like I just, my weight normalized and I was like, wow, I'm suddenly not just putting on that extra half kilo a year that you just, you know, you just do as you get older. And you just kind of accept it and like so my weight stabilized and I kind of, got a whole bunch more energy back and I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. I'm going to go with this. Wow. Um, where did you, I, we're over an hour, but I wanted to ask you first. So you can hear in your voice, like you're, you're from, where are you from originally? Where were you born? Uh, I was born in South Africa. Okay. And then have you lived in a number of different places? It feels like. Yeah. Yeah. I've lived in, I've lived in the UK. I've lived in London. I've lived in Edinburgh. I've lived uh, here in Sydney. I've lived in Amsterdam. I spent three months backpacking Thailand uh, where else have I lived? I think that's about it. Do you feel like you'll stay oh, in Sydney? Where did you meet your wife? I met my wife in Edinburgh. Um, I think we'll, I think we'll stay in Sydney. I really like Sydney actually. It's, uh, you know, it's just, if you can imagine a place that is just basically perpetually sunny, um, has good healthcare and good work and is easy to get around. So it's just kind of comfy. It's only downside is that it's expensive. It's one of the most expensive cities in the world, but like, like that feels like everywhere nowadays. So. I, I don't know that I can count that as a downside. I don't know. I mean, so far I haven't been able to find a place that wasn't uh, expensive to live that was anywhere you'd want to be for any amount of time. Um, you know, you know. Sometimes you just get. You know, there are rural places. You know, this is cheaper, and now I live here forever. 
like <laughs> there's nowhere to go and nothing to do and I'm too far from everything. Yeah, it is the one downside, I guess I'll show you. When you leave, it's a long flight to almost everywhere you go. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I sometimes go home to my parents and you kind of, you fly over the Arctic, like mm. is it the Antarctic, whatever the one at the bottom is. Um, you fly over it and it's like this 14 hour flight. And it's during the it's during the day, so it's not even like if you fly to the states. At least you know they they have the good sense to put the plane <clears throat> into the air at something like two three o'clock in the afternoon, so that you watch a movie for two or three hours and then you have a nap and you wake up in America. And right. it's great, cool, I'm refreshed. Um, but the flight to South Africa is just the opposite way around. They leave at eleven o'clock in the morning and they fly essentially through the day, and then they drop you off at whatever it is four o'clock in the afternoon. You're just like, I couldn't even sleep. I was awake the whole the whole flight for fourteen hours and. <laughs> Like, do you have any idea how bad your movies are? (laughs) Yeah, so. But by the same token, you also just get used to sitting on a plane for 14 hours. And so at some point in time, I kind of went, you know, I'm I'm a tall guy, so I get emergency X-rows whenever I can. And at some point, I was kind of like, well, this is only an eight-hour flight. I don't need an emergency exit. Man, that's something. That really, that sounds, listen, we're uh, at my house here talking now about if we should be moving or what should we, we should be doing. And I, I, our minds never go to like, it was just really fascinating to hear all the places that you've lived. Were you always following work or were you following just whimsy or how, how did you end up moving around so much? Uh, mostly random, random reasons, right? Like, um, the, when I first left London and, um, moved to Edinburgh, it was just a friend of mine was like, Hey, you should move to Edinburgh with me. And I was like, well, okay, yeah, let's do that. Um, and so I just ended up there. And then, you know, over the years, it's mostly been about traveling. Um, like Thailand, I went, my wife, it wasn't my wife at the time, but uh, it was my, she was my girlfriend at the time. She said, hey, I'm going to go and live in, you know, I want to go and backpack Thailand for three months. So I was like, oh, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go do that. Um, and then uh, she was kind of the reason we came to Australia as well. Um, we'd been living, we'd come back from Thailand. We'd been living in London for a few years. And after doing that, we kind of went, she went, oh, I really want to live somewhere warm. Let's go live in Australia. And I was like, well, okay, let's go do that. Um, so she, we moved out to Sydney. And then the rest is sort of just places I've always wanted to visit for extended periods of time to sort of soak into the culture, um, but never really had the opportunity to. And then, you know, fortunately, the company I work for has offices all over the place. And so I've kind of managed to squeeze, a, you know, two, three, four weeks or five weeks or even up to three months to just go and sort of find a job at that office for a couple of weeks and just go and live there and live in the culture and go do stuff. That's spectacular. I think the only really big exception to that was when I, we bought a car and drove around Europe for three months and that was just insane. Hmm. Um, it's just, it's, was, George is incredibly inspirational. I don't know if you realize or not that just the freedom that you feel to do that is, um, I'm jealous of it, uh, to be perfectly honest. Also, you don't have kids. Is that right? Yeah, I don't have kids. Yeah, don't make so a baby because you'll just be wherever you are after that happens. Um, yeah. We, yeah. we are now here. Yeah, right. Oh, that's something. Oh, George, I, this time went by so quickly. I, I really appreciate you coming on. I had such a great time. And you have to go to sleep, I would imagine, also. Um, is it about 2 in the now, morning? Now I'm, like, thoroughly awake. Now you're all awake. <laughs> <laughs> now I might as well, like, go for a run or just, like, go see what's on at 2 o'clock in the morning in Sydney. Uh, I think, actually, almost nothing because our government has shut down all fun. Fun, fun is not... There's a time when fun ends? Yeah, they're, like, yeah, after, I think, 12... 12 a.m. 12 a.m. or like 1 a.m. or like this is when the fun stops. No kidding. Well, that's interesting. So, yeah, you literally get ridiculous things like they won't serve you. I, I don't drink alcohol, but like if you do drink alcohol, like you're not allowed to leave a bar after 1 a.m. because they won't let you back in. Or 
like after midnight, they're not allowed to serve you spirits without a mixer. And so it's, it's the funniest thing. You'll have people going to bars and they're like, I'd like an 18-year-old scotch, please. And they'll be like, sure, which, which mixer do you want that with? And they'll be like, what? <laughs> I, I don't, please. <laughs> don't, I don't, don't put soda in my drink. <laughs> you have to now put a Coke into your 18-year-old scotch after midnight. It's just, ah, it's just ludicrous. But. Uh, no, I like, uh, listen, this sounds like an issue. I hope I can visit sometime. That's really something. Um, but I have kids, so probably I won't. Uh, <laughs> George, it's a long flight. You got to like keep them entertained for fourteen hours. It's not even that. It's that George, they have things. They have their own lives, and you are the facilitator of their lives. And there's just no time to be. God, this is an indictment of parenting, but it's hard to be you and them at the same time, which is, ends up being what's going on. Is you're you're trying to facilitate their situation, and at the same time work and make money to pay for things and sleep and you know like there's just not you run out of time like this you know what i mean it's um, i completely understand and i think that's also the kind thing about parenting right that your life is no longer yours you're you're giving so much to somebody else and yeah i think that's you know it's something wonderful parents do yes in in the least manly thing i've done in a while i watched the football game last night while folding laundry uh so (laughs) it's like there's a there's a, a a clear delineation between my masculinity and my femininity last night. I was just folding laundry, trying to look up at the television to see if the Eagles were going to win. Um, football, being American football here. But uh, but George, thank you so much. I really feel like I could talk forever. I, I think you've lulled me into a into a feeling of happiness with your multicultural accent, which is delightful. So not only do I have to thank George for coming on the show and sharing, but I have to thank him for a follow up note he sent me many weeks later. I'm going to read it to you as soon as I find it. Did I find it? No, here it is. I got it. Hey, mate, I wanted to message you quickly and let you know that it turns out I am actually still honeymooning to my surprise. I had a C-peptide test a week ago and it showed I still have some pancreas function. I've been using 35 to 40 units a day, which for my build, age, and exercise level, I thought was about right given what multiple books said I should be expecting. Anyway, I figured that my good control was assisted but not caused by this. But it would still be unethical of me to claim no honeymoon when I know that not to be true. So I just wanted to let you know so you could decide how to handle it. So while I want to applaud George for his courtesy and his transparency, I don't think it changes much other than to tell you that you may not know exactly when your honeymoon is over. George is still controlling his diabetes exactly the same way as he spoke about in the episode. Nothing's changed. He just needs more insulin now. I just want to take a moment to point out who brings the podcast to you. I do the interviews. I set everything up. I, all right, I do the whole thing, but without Dexcom and Omnipod, I would not have the time to do it. So again, thank you very much to both companies for your generous support of the podcast. It really does help me bring all this information, these people's stories and anything else that you find valuable about the podcast. It really would not exist without Dexcom and Omnipod supporting me. I also want to thank the listeners for sharing with friends, family, loved ones, doctors, everyone you tell about the podcast. I know you're doing it. I can see it growing, and I get your notes. So thank you very, very much. I really appreciate it. You guys know you can listen to the podcast anywhere, including juiceboxpodcast.com or on any podcast app. But did you know you can also listen on Amazon Alexa? Don't worry, I won't say the thing that makes your Alexa do something. And you can also listen and you can also listen on Siri with HomePod at home if you have that speaker. There's so many different ways. I'm going to see you guys next week. Hey Siri, 
play the juice box podcast. Here's the juice box podcast. Type one diabetes. I'm wearing South America. There's snow.